in a world driven by selfies and social media, where empathy and entrepreneurs are considered contradictory. One podcast has set out to put empathy back in the boardroom by hearing from the best entrepreneurs around the world. Empathize It will hear from the leaders of the digital economy and learn how the soft skills drive their business. This is the Empathize It podcast. Good morning to, for me, Walter, and good afternoon for good evening for you, Walter. How are you? I'm very good, Mordecai. Uh, greetings from my uh, office in Sai Kung here in Hong Kong, um, just hanging off the tip of China. Awesome. So I'm speaking to uh, this morning. I have the uh, distinct pleasure of speaking with Walter Jennings, a uh, colleague, friend, so much more, who for about three years, uh, for after three years working at the, as the VP of Corporate Communications at Huawei, recently joined the Tantalus Consulting Group. Um, so congratulations on that new position. Thank you, Mordecai. And, um, wonderful to have um, any excuse to be back in touch with you. Thank you so much. Um, so before we kind of get into more of the, uh, you know, the inner workings of influencer marketing and corporate communications, which I think is a topic that you are so well versed in and really know the ins and out of it from a large enterprise scale, uh, could you tell us a little bit more about what the Tantalus uh, Consulting Group does and, as a global uh, group? Yeah, sure. Look, um, uh, Tantalus Group is uh, kind of fills a sweet spot between um, where management consultants let off and sometimes where public relations firms uh, support. Uh, we tend to work on global assignments with corporations on communication strategy, and that can be everything from developing the framework on how global companies with uh, you know very complex uh, organizations. Um, would set up and establish and um, drive their communication strategy. What are the uh, what are the benchmarks against other organizations of similar scope and size? What is the kind of structure and training required? So, look, I am a thirty-year-plus um, uh, corporate communications person. I've worked with major agencies most re- and with global companies, most recently at Huawei. So. Um, this kind of speaks to my background, um, which is how do you help uh, large, complex organizations uh, communicate themselves and um, really find the right ways to connect with their audiences. That's awesome. And when you're working with such large, complex organizations, and you know, I'll put a little sidebar here, is that I, I had the pleasure of working with you together uh, when, we were, when you were working at Huawei as one of the global key, key opinion-led leaders. When working with influencer market, uh, you know, with Huawei or any group, large group, it doesn't make a difference what it is. But specifically at the influencer marketing uh, area, what is it that makes brands so interested in now? Because this is not a new concept. And I read your article from the Tantalus Group that it was, you know, it's not a new concept. It's not something that brands have been, have, you know, all of a sudden picked up on. But why is it all of a sudden that now brands are saying is we need to spend more money on it and now need to invest more in this? area of marketing as opposed to what was going on for the last 20, 30 years? Look, um, as you say, influencer um, relations is not a new art. We've been doing it for decades. Um, Within large corporations, you probably are already members of uh, chambers and associations and other networks. And so we do it and we know how to do it. Um, What's being facilitated today is with the um, uh, incredible spread of 
communications technology and the ability to podcast or vidcast or uh, Facebook Live or Twitter or stream um, anywhere, anytime. Uh, so suddenly the publishing houses are in the hands of everyone. Um, and there are some people that have built up audiences with expertise in areas that are aligned with their passion. And a lot of times we might think of influencers such as celebrities or people who are promoting a certain uh, fashion uh, house style, but there are actually a lot of influencers in more day-to-day um, -day business areas, whether that's cloud computing or avionics or uh, shipbuilding uh, or transportation. And there are people who actually have really large switched on interested audiences in those areas. So I guess I'm less of an influencer advertising person, which right. would be kind of more of that luxury end. And I'm more of an influencer relations end, which is taking large corporations and finding ways to engage with the right influencers to help explain their complex stories. Okay, and I know that in the, telling a complex story is always a challenge, no matter what kind of size the organization is. It could be five people, it could be 5,000 or 50,000 people. There's always uh, complexities that sometimes lay within certain people within the organization, and sometimes it just doesn't get uh, disseminated across the, you know, across the staff or across the team. Um, but what is it that, and what is it about influencer relations that makes such a big impact on uh, the B2B space, because it could be, you could say, well, this would be great for a B, you know, more business to consumer space, but not for necessarily a business to business space that influencer relations, influencer marketing, people who are not necessarily uh, hired by the, um, the brand, meaning people within the team, but rather people from outside the team who are offering something a little bit different. What is it about that or how can that influence the B2B space in a, in a greater way? Look, I think at the outset of your question, Mordecai, you mentioned that we're talking about uh, many times complex corporate stories. And right. um, I have yet to meet a corporation that is, um, you know, um, super easy and quick to understand at all levels. So you've got uh, so many um, elements within the company, whether that need to be kind of um, understood by a wide range of constituents, whether that's the local communities and where you have operations or whether that's your business lines, et cetera. So one of the things that works with influencers and first and foremost, they're fast. Um, and the quantity and the quality of the reporting in the social media is it's immediate. I mean, you um, go to large conferences where you work with a delegation and you'll have a certain hashtag. And within, you know, by lunchtime, that's trending on Twitter globally. That right. hashtag. So there's a there's a sudden spurt. Um, what is also of interest is that traditionally you'll find influencers have different audiences than the corporations do. And so if I am a large bank or if I'm a petrochemical giant, I have a social media business, but I also might have very different listeners or readers or followers than the ones that the influencers have. So it exposes the company to new constituents. Um, you'll find that the people who work well on social are sociable. So right. their listeners and their followers are really engaged and they like talking and the great influencers talk back and there's a conversation going. And what all of this does, first off, it normalizes the company. You know, I was working with a large uh, China-based telecommunications organization that was complex and not always well understood around the world. So 
This just helped more people understand it. So it normalizes, but also it leads to, um, over time, relationships. So, you know, you um, were a member of the Huawei uh, Key Opinion Leader Program, or you are a member, and um, you attended a few events where we were able to meet face-to-face, and then the more times that we had opportunities to interact, the more you knew of the organization, and we had folks from another a number of countries around the world, Asia, the Middle East, Africa, Europe, Scandinavia, South America, the United States, Europe, everywhere. And, you know, these people would then take that story home. And if they were um, from Morocco with a very large following of young Arabic women, then that was interesting. If it was within the Israel um, tech and uh, startup scene, that was really interesting. And also we were able to reach, you know, with English being the predominant language online and social media, um, you're able to reach a global English-speaking audience. But you know, you again can even get down into local languages and um, other uh, forms. So anyway, though, that's just a little bit of a few of the benefits. And would you say that is true that all the everything is like off? Great influencers, you said, talk back. And it helps people understand and normalize the story of the brand, which is sometimes, not sometimes, all the time, is very complex and very, uh, you know, every aspect of it can be viewed in different angles and different, uh, every vertical of the, within the business has their own story, but it needs to be told one cohesive story. And influencers do effort, definitely help change or, you know, put, position the, the story in a way that's unique and less, call it, we'll call it less, quote unquote, corporate. But could could it be that a pos- could it be possible today that a a brand or an enterprise that's working on a global scale can work without influencer relations or influencer marketing, or would it be something that you would think today it's almost like a, a non-starter? You have to work with influencers. I think um, uh, look, influencer relations is one term, um, and so I would um, just have to say that if we dial it back, every single company is engaging somewhere within their organization with people of influence. And that's sometimes within the strategy department um, and they're working with multi-country organizations or it's within the analyst relations, et cetera. But actually then getting into uh, the online profiles of some of the people they're already working with and starting with kind of a corporate reputation approach to engaging influential people who communicate about their businesses, that's somewhat of a new business. Um, And so influencer relations overall really kind of, um, it's funny, one of the uh, people I spoke with uh, runs a firm influencer DB and he talked about, you know, the old days back in 2015 when this was really beginning. So we're talking about an industry that's three years old, possibly, you know, on the the consumer side, goes back a a bit further than that. But um, I would suggest it's on the radar of every corporation in some form or another. Um, the challenge is they just don't know either how to do it or where to find the skills or the counsel because, um, you know, not every communications uh, public relations firm or advertising agency um, really has um, a depth of talent in influencer relations. 
Speaking of depth of talent, um, one of the questions I had and one of the questions I always gets asked when, I, when I'm speaking with people who are brands and companies who are asking about influencer relations and influencer marketing, how is it to, how do brands identify the right ones and how do you kind of weed out the ones that are relevant, less relevant, you know, people who are talking the right kind of conversation versus ones that are maybe kind of projecting something that may not be actually have any meat around it? Look, um, in, um, you mentioned at the outset uh, my, um, the firm I'm with, the Tantalus Group, and the white paper that I um, just published this week on influencer relations. Um, so please feel free to look for it there. But one of the first points in approaching this is the, um, is the um, uh, selection and what are the criteria for selection and how do you find people that might be um, right to work with you? And that requires a lot of uh, understanding your own company, your own aims, your own approaches, and then also being able to look through and do some evaluation within the, the, the audiences that are out there. You want to look at people via their reach, their relevance, and their resonance, how much the people engage with. So that lets you kind of define a starting list, but then you have to just start talking with people and communicating. And, and you know, I have to um, admit that almost at every single event that I held, there was an influencer there who was me taking a little bit of a leap, you know, saying, oh, wow, you know, I don't think this is a perfect fit, but this is some interesting skill set. And in some of those instances, the people came and they had a great event and they learned a lot about Huawei and they walked away and they said, thank you very much. And that was the end of the relationship. With others, um, they came along and it was a great fit and it was perfect. And then still there were also others where, you know, maybe their audience wasn't in line with what we were trying to achieve and talk to. But I was a big fan of retaining the conversation, if not necessarily, um, you know, not investing straight away in, um, you know, further visits and other time together. But you know, just keep the keep the gate keep the doors open. And keeping the doors open and retaining the conversation is what, something that resonates with me, and I, especially having attended several of those events and enjoying those, you know, meet face to face people, face to face meetings with yourself and other people with from the company who are sometimes, you know, behind the, we'll call it the, the, whether it's the digital, digital barriers or other barriers that might be hard to reach and hard to hear their, their angle on the, on the, and their expertise on so many different things. It's, it's important for these influencers to really get that firsthand knowledge and firsthand uh, opportunities, exposure to these uh, great thought leaders and great people that might otherwise be difficult to reach despite the digital, uh, you know, what kind of the open open source that we have today, where everyone can kind of access everyone. Um, but look, and Mordecai, yeah. one of the points I want to say is that you know, if you're a company and you're looking at undertaking influencer relations, understand that um, the people who work well on social are generally sociable. So right. you know, your open attitude, your uh, wanting to learn, your appreciation for engaging—that was typical across the um, uh, influencer engagement process which was that, wow, you know, you're really doing a great job explaining this large organization to us and helping us understand uh, the drivers behind it, the leadership, the technology, where it was going. And so um, this provided, you know, it was a, everything in influencer relations is got to be a win-win. You know, you're going to dedicate your time, you're going to do some research, you're going to attend an event, you're going to really get to understand the company and the company has to kind of 
invest in you in terms of time with you and attention and, and briefing and access and all of that. But, you know, that provides you with more valuable insights when you're going out and being a speaker or a commentator or writing in other areas. So, you know, always with the influencer relations, it winds up, look, you wind up looking for a win-win situation. Absolutely. And since you're, when, since you're working with so many different people, there's clearly going to be issues of expectations on both sides and also understanding where each, each person, both from the influencer and also from the brand, how each side can make sure to maximize those relationships. What would you say would be the best ways to maximize the relationship of an influencer or, or starting the relationship uh, and then being able to allow it to grow in, a, in the correct way so that way influencers learn and also the brands learn to, uh, to create the right expectations from the get-go as opposed to trying to, you know, saying, oh, we're doing influencer marketing and then they find out that what they were expecting or what they didn't have any expectations. What would be some of the tips for someone who's trying to start a program like that or a brand who's trying to start a program like that? Um, I would um, suggest this, that um, um, that people look at relationships and people look at the, um, the long-term potential. So you've asked me kind of two questions. One is how do you maximize the, the, the work and how do you um, then, um, what are the ways to build the relationship? So what I would suggest is that um, if you approached this in a um, headset such as how do I maximize the relationship with this um, influencer? Um, perhaps you're going into it in the wrong way. What you want to do is find uh, areas of mutual overlap and mutual success, and then you're going to um, work on a long-term uh, plan in terms of helping them better understand and working um, in terms of um, helping them then communicate within their audiences. So what I would say is it takes time. Um, it takes conversations. It's, um, it's fun. Oh, great fun. Um, and also just be um, prepared to, you know, be quoted beyond the record. Um, uh, the approach I took when running influencer relations for Huawei globally was everything is on the record. Anything you see, anything I say, anything you hear um, is all on the record. And that's kind of, promoting the global transparency. But that said, you can enter a whole wide range of relationships with influencers. So what I would suggest is don't treat it like a transaction, treat it like the beginning of a friendship, get to know each other, spend time together, and then build as friendships do over time. Because I would assume that in three, five, 10 years, you're still talking with these same people and they're still interested in your business. And then that's a win-win for everyone involved. Absolutely. And that is definitely one of the key aspects of whether it's, uh, we call it influencer relation, influencer marketing, or any way you want to look at it. It's not something about a short-term you know, partnership that says, okay, for this six months, we're going to you know, employ you or engage with you. And then later on, if you need to, we're going to try we'll start again. But rather, you're looking at it from where the relationship with the person and their influence. But also, more importantly, is that the relationship allows, by real, look, viewing it as a real person-to-human-to-human -to -human communication relationship, as opposed to just a business transaction, it, it changes the parameters and allows for both sides, like you said before, to really have a, a true win-win. So everyone's looking at it as, as a real relationship as opposed to just a quote-unquote business transaction. 
So the question then becomes is where within the organization is this uh, expertise? Right. That, was my, that actually was my, my next question is where do you where do you Well, no, I know you because you set it up perfectly in the right. sense that this is a longer term strategic relationship. So um, within Huawei, this was in uh, PACD, Public Affairs Communication Department. So this was within the corporate communications and this was viewed as uh, similar to analyst relations or media relations. And so there was um, a dedicated uh, function for it, et cetera. And then the challenge became, you know, in some of the feedback I've heard from other influencers I've worked with is that if it's pushed down to the agency to manage the influencers, well, you know, then it's luck of, that works if you've got a really good senior professional and we have the great support of uh, Ogilvy Public Relations. Um, that the challenge though is that these are relationships that the corporation needs to manage. So. I was um, uh, serving as vice president of Huawei, and that's I owned those relationships. The challenge became I was at Huawei three years, and when um, you know I left, there's always going to be a little bit of a, um, a challenge in terms of transferring the relationships. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing companies need to think about. But you know, the the more senior you can place these, and you can have a, a, a communications manager you know, looking after the relationships, but then maybe assigning them buddies in senior leadership team that would get their area of expertise. There are different ways of approaching it, but I'd err towards senior and be prepared to get personable because these are very um, outgoing, social, and engaging people. Absolutely. Um, and what do you think about, uh, why is brand, there, sorry, my, I, I fumbled for a second. Um, Brands are certainly obviously realizing this impact of influencer marketing, influencer relations, and we've mentioned why they all of a sudden they're picking up on this trend. But when working with these people, you have to be, and you mentioned it just now, is that each per the kind of corporate uh, person responsible for this department or this division uh, needs to understand how to work with people in a, a different way than just another you know uh, business partnership. And there's obviously this human relationship that is much more sensitive and much more real now that uh, with, with influencer relations that it used to be in the past uh, when looking at the way uh, brands and individuals and people who have direct influence, uh, very immediate influence uh, work. And, and so I, I would say is that there's like this emotional intelligence or this underlying soft skill that pe some people have and some people don't that would uh, allow people to be successful in the influencer relations you know, aspect of, of communications. Well, and Mordecai, I would add that um, I'm um, a, a very proud practitioner of public relations and right. I have for um, my entire career. And um, I would suggest that um, the folks that work in public relations and have had to work with media and organizing events and bringing in outside constituents and um, managing expectations of senior leadership, um, they're accustomed to um, the skill set required. Uh, they might just have to jazz up their language and shorten their headlines because a tweet is a good tweet. It's still only 140 characters. I don't care about the new tweets. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you have to be a maybe a little snappier. Correct. And so if we're going to be really snappy and really sharp on our messages, whether it's PR, whether it's the person who's actually you know sharing the tweet, um, then there has to be some sort of understanding of your audience, both on the person who is managing it from the corporate side and the person who is the influencer himself, understanding that sensitivity and the nuances on all sides so that their audience gets it, 
and the message from the corporation is getting it being you know delivered correctly. What is it about that relationship or that that sensitivity that you can you know some insight that you can offer for people who are trying to either get into the space of influencers or want to become larger on their space? How would you be? How would you help them um, in, increase their insights or increase their uh, their language skills? What would you give them in terms of learning to improve their ability to deliver a sharp message, message, both from anyone who's works with corporations or brands that are looking to increase their influencer marketing or people who are looking to become, slowly become influencers themselves. Look, Mordecai, I'd suggest is that um, the key word of the 21st century is authenticity. And the um, uh, everyone involved in the process needs to retain to their core values. So if you're looking to be an influencer, and you're engaging with corporations, don't do so for the, the glamour of the dollar if it's not aligned with who you are and what your audience likes. Because frankly, uh, people are sharp enough that they read what would be clearly a sponsored or paid for uh, communications. And that kind of ruins the experience for the audience. It um, leads to perhaps some fissure and trust with the influencer. Right. And also, it's not a really great return for the corporation if it looks just like something that came off of the shopping channel. Right. So um, I think that when we uh, were doing the program, um, at Huawei, we spoke about the fact that we did not have content minimum content requirements for influencers in terms of the quantity they shared. What I would always advise people is that we they knew their audience much better than I would. So I would share within their network what they felt was of interest to their audience. And um, we were also seeking balance. Um, you know, you wanted to understand where we could learn where what things we could do better. So, you know, what I'd suggest is that um, enter this in, into this in a partner relationship with uh, candor um, and uh, making sure that perhaps you're not being overly promotional or you're um, being um, untrue to your audience. Um, because I think the folks that do that, you know, uh, it gets seen through pretty quickly. And from a brand perspective, I mean, this could be an argument or like a conversation is, you know, there's, there's two sides to influencer marketing. One would be our influencer relation is one is which uh, the why one, which I appreciate it is very flexible and open, allow each person their own uh, flexibility and understanding of their audience to know how much is, is, is how much or how little is good for their audience and relevant to their audience versus a little bit more of a structured uh, approach, which might be a different you know, side to the argument. Um, and I'm, now that you're experienced both in uh, after looking at looking back at Huawei and looking maybe ahead towards your future opportunities, what would be your do you do you believe that the open or is there is there one opinion for you that you would say is this? No, one? I think Mordecai. I think it's um, one of the things um, I have seen is other companies are very specific with the influencers. Will um, we might um, organize to? you know, cover your travel if you're coming to an event. And if you were to do so, we would have these expectations. Um, I think that those conversations and expectations can be held outside of a contract. Um, that said, um, there is certainly a lot of um, uh, benefit for both parties to know clearly what's going on if there is a, a kind of a, a, an agreement. Um, you'll find that if someone's the type that um, may just 
take advantage of the opportunity and not really understand the benefit that they're receiving and the benefit that is expected, then you've done a poor job managing their expectations and um, you either need to realign and have a conversation to bet, gain better understanding or perhaps you're working with someone that might not be appropriate um, long-term. Because um, another, uh, I mentioned earlier authenticity, the other uh, major trend is what you'd call values-based communications, which is uh, understanding at core uh, the corporate values and how you would act and um, approach other people if you were a person or how you respond, what is the DNA of the company and how in touch are you with that? You know, so do these people who you're asking and are representing you, do they align with your values? So value-based authenticity, these are kind of um, some of the hallmarks of great, um, can't, great engagements with influencers. And I, I would believe that the values-based is something that's new for, while every company does promote values and mission, a mission, it, it sometimes when it trickles down to working with individuals uh, on, on such a level, on such a granular, granular level, it could, it could in theory change how uh, some of the people, uh, or how the oh. comp- corporate changes the, the mission. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. In other words, the mission doesn't necessarily trickle down from what their values are to what they're actually doing, interacting on a face-to-face, you know, real-time way and understanding the real power of influence. Look, no, I think that, um, I think that um, you're finding that uh, communications is um, another side effect of all of the social media and all of the empowerment and all of the engagement is corporate communications is freshening up, waking, waking up and having to understand you know, the rapidity with which we communicate that unless you either have every single possible future scenario planned out, you have to have some flexibility, creativity, and be able to respond within a framework. And so, you know, in the past, when I began my career, we used to build communications plans that were large, complex cathedrals of um, thoughts and approaches. And today things move so quickly that instead of a cathedral, you need a steel frame through which any uh, hurricane or typhoon can blow and no matter what will retain standing. And that's what you, that's the concept behind values-based communication. So you'll find that the, um, uh, the, the, the rapidity of today's pace almost demands it. And even if people haven't named it values-based communications, they're responding and handling things within the framework and the culture that their corporation has defined as being appropriate. You know, this is how we do things here. Right. Uh, and with, with, with that, my question to you is, how does the, um, we mentioned the, the kind of the understanding that we're working with people here and being social and the importance of social on both sides, both for the person who is in charge of the influential relations and from the pers- perspective of the person who is uh, engaged with this corporate or this corporation or brand or enterprise. What else, what, what other, and we'll call it, I like to use the word soft skills, but what other soft skills would you be uh, offer as a suggestion for the brands to, or brands or enterprises who are looking to expand their the relationship with people uh, in, in terms of understanding how uh, they need to be more flexible? What other softer skills are, are important? Look, I am a... Um um, I missed my calling, Mordecai. I've come late in my life to understanding that I really should have been in diplomatic service. And um, given my passion for learning about diplomacy, I've been taking a number of online courses through Coursera. I've got uh-huh. 15 certificates on my LinkedIn profile. I've finished them all. 
but I've taken quite a large number of courses uh, from Leiden University in The Hague in Holland, which is really known as the diplomat skill. Right. And so when it comes to soft skills, I would suggest diplomacy. Um, and there are many times in diplomacy where you're not allowed to say what you want to say, but you always tell the truth. Um, and you're always direct and honest, but sometimes you might pull your punches or reserve your comments for a later time. So I would say to those who are really wanting to um, exceed in influencer relations, study diplomacy. That's an interesting approach to uh, influencer relations. But like you said, it, it really does talk to that the, the trends of today's generation of authenticity, values, knowing when and what to respond in what way and, and when to do it and how to do it correctly without uh, obviously offending anyone or obviously without, without swaying from your overall um, your narrative from both from a brand and from a, a human perspective. So and, you know, whoever works in the influencer relations project team within the organization has to be so heavy and not just as voyeurs. They right. have to have understood how to write, how to up, date, how to crop, you know, take photos, how to, you know, tag, how to hashtag, how to share, you know, people. Um, and that's uh, that kind of language, the language skills of social and the speed of social married with kind of an uh, understanding of language and diplomacy. You know, so what you find is you're having to be, you know, smart at the speed of light and you should do this. Right. And it's, it's really quite um, as I said, really very engaging and um, very enjoyable. Um, however, it happens fast. Yes, and that, and that speed is sometimes what, what is also, is obviously offers the biggest opportunity for a brand and for the person uh, who engaged with uh, influencer relations, but it also it creates a challenge for the brand because they, they, don't, they need to know that they'll be able to respond and or to be able to offer quality information in such a way that's, you know, sounds by, sound bites, but still some sort of context that's deep and filled with a meaning. Yeah, and you'll find what a kind that most major corporations have uh, social media and crisis management embedded together because there are so many times that, you know, oh, sorry, social media, media relations, crisis management, and just, uh, you know, understanding how to manage issues, um, all working uh, hand in hand because what you want to be able to do is, um, you know, leverage the relationship wherever you can, but also understand that, uh, you know, how to um, have these conversations at this speed and what could possibly go bump in the night. So um, thankfully, we didn't have um, social crises related to influencer relations. Um, however, um, there were some um, challenging engagements and, you know, you work through them. Correct. And when, when now that you're working with the Tantalus Group, I'm imagining that this is the kind of advice and consulting that you're going to be offering for the, the, the brands that are working with this group on a global scale. So I'm, I'm imagining that these are the kind of, you know, you're losing your experiences from Huawei and using your experiences with so many, with years, uh, decades of, of PR and communications uh, am I correct to say that these are the, the these plus other? This is the, yeah, this is the framework. This is the offer. I don't want to uh, be as old as you. <laughs> <laughs> However, you do a great that, job. Uh, and, uh, young, so it's good. Yeah, as uh, Peter Shankman said, it's uh, not my first rodeo. Right. Um, however, uh, and yes, um, and the other benefit um, or insight I bring is having. Um, 
spent time, considerable amounts of time in um, my birth country, uh, America, my um, adopted country, Australia, and now um, uh, just coming up for permanent residency here in Hong Kong, having worked in China. So it's, um, you know, it, it, there's a lot of cross-cultural elements that I've um, adapted to as well. And that, and that cross-culturalism also allows, obviously offers you a, a leg up when working with so many large enterprises because they want to learn how to excel in each one of their markets that they're looking to, whether to, they're to, to penetrate yeah, or to... The other thing grow. I want to do, I think I can... Um, the other insight is that um, I worked three years within um, a company headquartered in mainland China, and it is a global company, uh, but still there is a very different um, culture and approach to work, and um, that was um, really, um, I, you know, very um, unusual and um, a great experience, but um, I would be uh, very, I think, adept at working with uh, companies from China or from other parts of the world that are having, wanting to integrate into conversations between their culture and perhaps uh, European or Western culture. Um, and so, you know, being able to uh, mute your own cultural biases to be receptive to the client and the company and then also their audiences, um, it, it really is a, a fabulous uh, understanding to be able to um, kind of accept and adapt and then re-communicate depending on the differences between the host company, country, and the audience they're trying to reach. So it's um, it, it, there's always uh, new things to learn. And I think with your, with your experience, like you said, it's not your first, uh, your first rodeo. The understanding so many different uh, corporate, corporate environments and corporate settings allows you to be really uh, at the forefront of saying, is this is what I, having so many years of experience, and different settings, both in, both in a multicultural set scenario as well as in different uh, countries, allows you to really show uh, how communications, PR, inv uh, influencer relations can be applied across, uh, across the globe. And I think that's really um, important to understand how working with people uh, doesn't change regardless of how, uh, what brand you're working with or what kind of uh, environment you're in, it's working with people and you have to understand that sensitivity and that uh, relationship. And, and, yeah, and I think that while I'm very you know, pleased to have done work around the world, I, I still um, hate to say I define myself as a, kind of a um, Hong Konger with a great expertise in China, um, who's very adept in the English-speaking world. Um, right. But I, boy, I have... Um, uh, spend a lot of time in other countries where I am just a mere beginner. Interesting. So I always like to ask the last question before we kind of conclude is you mentioned you're starting obviously this new project or this new opportunity with Tantalus. Are there any other fun projects or other cool things that you're doing as Walter Jennings? What are you doing now for fun things or cool projects that you're working on? To get, uh, well, um, I've got two other work things that I'm doing. Um, one is I've actually also taken to the microphone and I've started a podcast called Influencers Today. Um, and I'm actually launching my first episodes this week. Um, second, um, I have a 
another business called Asia Insight Circle, uh, which is a networking association here in Hong Kong for CEOs. So we meet regularly. And finally, on the fun side, I have um, I've got two things. One, I've uh, started a book club, and okay. we're meeting on the fifth of October to discuss less. Uh, which won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction. Um, and I'm really enjoying weight training. So I'm uh, hitting the gym a little bit heavier these days. And um, so those are kind of some of the things that uh, keep me uh, keep me whole. Well, th- well, first of all, I want to say thank you for your time. And it sounds like a very well-rounded, not only the podcast, because it gives you a chance to really connect with the influencers around the world that you've built relationship with, at least the ones I know. I'm sure there are ones that I don't know. Um, as well as the Asia Insight Circle gives you that, uh, corporate feel, corporate you know, relationship with a very close, tight-knit uh, group of people within Hong Kong. Um, so that's one thing. And I know that from, from the time that I've met you, you were very well and very uh, well-read and very studious uh, individual, very insightful. So get, the book club is definitely something there. Um, so I just wanted to say thank you for your time and really under, thank you for allowing, offering insights into your, uh, the world of influencer relations and influencer marketing. Because today, as you said, is such an important topic, is such important um, area, but a lot of people don't understand it and are not necessarily well-versed in how to really do it well. Uh, and- well, and Mordecai, I really appreciate the opportunity to be invited onto your show. Um, it's so, so wonderful to spend time speaking with you, and I've, I really enjoyed our dialogue, and I'm very happy to answer any questions listeners have, so uh, you'll probably find me somewhere in the show notes below. And yes. um, I look forward to... on your Twitter handle, as well as a link to your... When you're... When, <laughs> when you're, when you're, when you're well, one of the 87 of ways you can connect with me, <laughs> and everyone wants to use their own channel, yeah, I'm yeah. very familiar Yes, like you always say, you have to be always on, so it's important. So uh, thank you, Walter, again for your time. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to hearing more about your various projects uh, in the future. Thank you. Be sure to sign up for the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. And remember, the next time you're doing business in the digital economy, make sure to empathize it.